from the Los Angeles Underground. It's time for your new favorite podcast, The Superiority Complex. It's like honey in your ear holes. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Your new favorite podcast. Once again, uh, you know, uh, baseball season just started, and uh, I'm already uh, ready to award uh, uh, to give out my MVP awards, Most Valuable Podcasters Award. And it's going to go to Kalei. And uh, Jake, or, or who I like to, two I like to refer to as the anchors of the show, really the bedrock of the show the last couple of weeks. You know, we're out, John Sandy. And unfortunately, I just talked to John yesterday. His surgery was scheduled for yesterday, and they had to push it back because he had the hernia surgery and he didn't, he wasn't quite fully healed. So it looks mm. like they're, they're going to push his uh, surgery back a couple of weeks, um, maybe at the start of May. So he may be able to join us for an episode or two. Uh, before then, he may be able to return, but then um, he'll be back off again. But uh, our best wishes for John. He is doing well. He said to say hello to everybody. He's, he listens to the show. He's loving every second of it. Uh, but he's doing very well. I dropped off his Christmas present finally. Uh, so that worked out well. But yeah, he's good. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, Kalei and, and Jake have really been... Uh, Patrick had to work. Uh, Anita had to work. I don't know where Justine is. Uh, but we all know, we know the, that about them. They're conjoined twins. If one is gone, the other one's gone. That's just the way it works. You can't have one. Mm-hmm. With, you can't have one without the other. Patrick and Justine. Patrick and Justine. One is white and one is mean. Um, <laughs> that's my new song for uh, Patrick and Justine. Uh, so I, I was just telling you, Jake, you don't know this, Kalei, because you, you came in just a second ago, but uh, I had to drive from my mother's house here. Uh, I, I forgot. I left something. I, I took something and forgot to leave it at my mom's yesterday, so I had to get out there. So I took, I, I went down there and I came back, and I gave myself plenty of time. Uh, it's about a 20-minute drive to my mom. Let me tell you guys something. I just want to, I, I, I just want to, I, I want to talk about the social contract that we all are a part of once we get our driver's licenses. Okay. At a green light. Okay. I don't expect you to, I don't expect the second the light turned green, the light turns green for you to accelerate, but I want to see, I, I want to see some urgency. Okay. I want to see the light is green. We've all got to get across. Uh, Jake just left. Uh, obviously he's one of those guys. Bye, Jacob. He did right. not like, this no, story. he doesn't like this story. Give yourself, look left, look right. Make sure nobody's in the crosswalk. Obviously, make sure nobody's going to run that green light as or run that red light and make sure you know, make sure you're clear, no obstructions. But as soon as you step on the gas, you're stepping on the gas. You're getting up to the speed limit. This is not a slow. We're not. No, we're getting up to the speed limit. And then here's the here's where the here's where my thing is. Look, none of us like truck. We all rely on the semis, the 18 wheelers, the good men and women of this country who who are the lifeline, the 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 the, the central nervous system of this of this country is is truck drivers, right? They they move uh, important goods from here to there, all across the country. They're important to us, but they're also very slow. Okay, I need you to don't just wait till you're clear of the truck when you're in a, at a green light, because everybody is thinking the same thing. I got to get in front of this truck. I got to get past this truck. I don't want to get stuck behind him. So at a stoplight, you see everybody spill to the left or the right. They're going to get around this truck, right? 
Okay, once you're clear, keep going. Make room for the people behind you to get past the truck. Don't to go. Don't pull even with the truck. Don't get slightly ahead of them. You know what I'm saying? Ooh. Do you see where my frustration is coming? Do you see what kind of drive? Be the good, be the good Samaritan on the road. Yes. Think about mm-hmm. this. Also, I don't know if we, when you guys took driver's ed, but when I took driver's ed, one of the most important things they stressed was leaving room for cars to maneuver around you, right? Don't pull next. Here's my biggest pet peeve. You are riding right next to my left or right rear tire, mm-hmm. right? If I need to get out of the way, you're, I'm going to hit you, right? Back off or pass me. I won't be offended. But if I need to make a quicker left or right or dodge something in the road, I'm going to smack you, all right? I don't need to see you in your car. I don't need to be even with you. I don't need to watch your, you know, you doing your your uh, carpool karaoke. I don't need that, okay? Picking your nose, doing your makeup, yeah. whatever you're doing. I need a circle around my vehicle. <laughs> Bubble. <laughs> Respect the bubble. I understand. Sometimes there's traffic. I understand. I'm talking about when traffic's flowing. When there's flow, everybody's moving at a nice speed. You don't need to be next to the person. Leave room for that person. I'm just saying. You'll be now, happy my, when they don't smack into you because they have to dodge a dog running across the road or something. Now, here's the thing. Talk to me. I, would, I agree with you in most cases. However, if there's that asshole who's been riding your ass for the past 10 minutes... And you have an opportunity to like just get them back just a little bit by matching the car in front of you so that they can't pass you no matter what they do. Oh, if we're talking about petty vengeance, that's okay. Yeah. That's always okay. That's okay in my book. Just don't get shot. Just remember that. Unfortunately, there's going to be some innocent bystanders in this scenario. Right. There are going to be. There is going to be some collateral damage of somebody like five or six cars back just blowing an O-ring because they're so upset. Yeah, because somebody decided to match the speed of the <sighs> semi that was on their left. But I'm all for I'm all for petty vengeance. I almost okay. had petty vengeance today. <laughs> a guy decided to pull in front of me out of a side street. I had to s- slam on my brakes, and then he was slow. Then he saw that I was angry because I was I, I was making a face for sure. Then he sped. No, I didn't even I didn't gesture. I was just making a face. Then he mm. sped up. And later on, I had a chance to, I was, I, I passed him and mm-hmm. I had a chance at a stoplight to get in front of him and slam on my brakes. And I did not do that. <laughs> I did not do that. Um, I did. I wanted to. Because. I get so scared with petty vengeance on the road. I feel like I am always chancing fate. Like, what if I get the person who gets super angry? Or has a gun. Or yeah, and I drive like this little tiny car. Right. They look over. I don't have tinted windows. They just see like a really short person with big sunglasses on. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't have to tell me that. just giant sunglasses. What? You did not even have to tell me, Clay, and I knew you were a a giant mm-hmm. sunglass girl. Giant heart shaped sunglasses. Yeah, I was gonna say like a heart. There's some kind of shape. Sunflowers or something. Hair tied back with a big bow on it. Yeah. Like- <laughs> I have a pair of heart-shaped sunglasses right here somewhere. I okay. wore them on my morning walk. Oh my god, you're adorable! <laughs> I want that. I want when you can find them, put them on for us. We're, I will. Yeah. But there's always a possibility that somebody's going to lash out. But you know what? That's 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 a risk I'm well, willing. To well, take. here's the thing: there are see. Here's the thing: matching speeds is so subtle. 
Like, <laughs> like no one is going to be able to tell you're doing that on purpose, unless you're like looking in the rearview mirror and grinning. Don't do that. But I'm talking about like, like, like petty vengeance, like brake checking. That yeah, don't do that kind of stuff. No brake checking. Don't do that. Not, that you can. No. Brake checking is not petty vengeance. That's Russian roulette. Yeah, yeah, it is. Well, I was going to say, it, you know, considering the amount of people that just walk around armed now, it's it's mm. it's best to. I'm not saying yell at anybody. Um, I do oh. like somebody told me I read on Twitter one time, and I've kept this in mind that uh, this person said I accidentally cut somebody off, and instead of flipping me off. Uh, they gave me a thumbs down, and that was way more devastating. Um, so now I just do that. I just give people the all the old thumbs. It's <laughs> just great because you can't really get mad at that. It's just like yeah. you know, it's like a thumbs down. Somebody's just critiquing your driving. You know, just... Did I tell you the one time I took petty vengeance too far on the road? No, let's hear about it. Petty vengeance traffic story. I want to hear about the it. The guy was guy was riding my ass for like the past 10 minutes on the freeway mm-hmm. and I was getting off and he was getting, and he was getting off on the same exit. I'm like, I'm going to take this exit real slow. <laughs> so I took, I was getting off on the freeway about 35 miles an hour. Right. I got to the light, turned left. He came with me. So I took the turn really slow and then I take the next turn really slow. Um, and it turns out he went down the same neighborhood that I was. Oh no! Neighborhood, <laughs> gunned past me in his fucking lifted truck, and just blaring on the horn the whole the whole way down the street. Don't go home uh, in that case. Don't attempted, don't show him where you live. I attempted that. You know, someone someone was looking out for me on that day. Did he have a giant American worse. flag in the back of the truck? Because you would have been in trouble. Probably. Yeah. It was, yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the flatbed was probably an American right, flag. Right, right, right. Yeah, because mm-hmm. you know he had a gun mm-hmm. in there. You know he had a gun oh, yeah. in there. Uh, yeah. And not just any gun. Some kind of thing you've only seen in like a like a future. Like the, it's a kind of gun that the colonial Marines carried in aliens. You know, something you can't get. Mm-hmm. But he bought it at a gun show in Vegas somehow. And just yeah, but you can't shoot me because we're neighbors. <laughs> Is that true? Is that how it works? <laughs> well, you know, the, where are they going to look? They're going to look around the neighborhood first. Yeah. As Jake's going down, he's like, but I'm white. Yeah. You know, I get it. I get it. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> attempted, attempted fate that day. And fate, yeah. Holding his holding. favor me that day. Uh, my brother, my late brother, God rest his soul. He did that one time. Uh, he was known to taunt people on the freeways and did a lot of driving. Mm-hmm. And I guess. One time he taunted somebody and the guy like motioned him to like pull over so pull they over. could, so they could. And so my brother did it and the guy said, the guy came out, He's, my brother said, my brother said he, he got, he, he pulled the bat out of the back of his truck and was like, all right, let's do this. And the guy brandished a gun. So my brother got back in the car and just left. And then the guy <laughs> chased him. The guy chased him down the freeway. And so what my brother had to do was finally, um, I guess the way he did it was he took an, he lost sight of the guy for a second. And this is, they're driving up like towards Fontana, like when there was nothing oh. out there. So he took, so my brother took an off ramp and then stopped and turned the lights off. It like stopped on the side of the road and turned the lights off. The guy like shot past him. And then my brother backed up and got back on the freeway. that's how we we finally lost him yeah don't do that don't do that Kalei looks uh, very distressed at this conversation (laughs) you okay man my cortisol is through (laughs) I'm sorry man yeah you know be a good good warning did you hear that story Jacob 
Yeah, Jacob. Don't I? Get, I have to check my road rage. I get very. I get very frustrated driving. I do. I have to. Mm-hmm. I have to really check. I myself. do too. I. Everyone drives too slow for me. Right. It's like I have a slow a car big, too. I'm not. It's not like I'm a race car driver, but just he, listen. Let's go. Let's go. Yeah. yeah, we all know the speed limit on the freeway is 80. I know it says 65, but it's 80. Yeah. Come on. Okay. Jacob drives in the slow lane, though. He does. I do. <laughs> he is a slow driver. I've heard he this. Does <laughs> I've heard how this about. about you, how about, yeah, you try and drive fast after flipping a car that tried to. Uh-oh. Well. No, I agree. Car, car, being uh, careful uh, after car accidents—that's fair. That's I, fair. I don't, I don't blame you. Jake's just got a nice sedan, like a nice little sedan, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. I have, as do I. I'm not a speed demon, but I also want you to just—I just want people to pay attention. And uh, I can't tell you how many times someone's uh, slid into my lane or almost clipped me, and I look over and they're texting, yep. and they're and they're still texting. It's like that even. You know the the, the overcorrect they just did doesn't even get get the. What could you possibly be texting? Unless you are an air traffic controller and you're trying to text somebody down because the whole flight crew had bad fish and they they're all passed out and they have to land the plane, or you're some kind of brain surgeon and you can't get to the office because of traffic and you're walking somebody else through a uh, through some kind of a procedure. But that's what speakerphone is for. Okay. Yeah. Talk to text. Jesus. The other one is I feel like people like don't actually look at the lines on the road when they're repaved and they start following like the wrong lines. Right. And I'm like, what are you doing? You see that. You see that a lot. That happens actually close to my house because they're redoing a, one yeah. of the, uh, one of the uh, on-ramps and they've got the whole thing. It's like a four-way on-ramp and they've got lanes that have all been paint, pa- painted over like six or seven times. And uh, everybody's headed to the freeway and nobody's paying attention. So fun times. Fun times. On the 210 and the 10 freeway a lot too. There's always work going, being done on it. They don't, they don't repave the lines until like everything's almost done. And so you can barely see them at night. They don't put the roof, they don't put new reflectors on. So it's just, it's My- just everyone. Reflectors in general, we need new reflectors on the roads. Mm-hmm. You mean Mott's dots, the little, little. I think it's bot stops or mod stops. What now? The little dots, the little, little. Is that what you call? Them? That they're all called. They're called bot stops or mod stops. Bot stops. He was the Caltrans guy who. Uh... Oh, it's bot stops. Bot stops. Mm-hmm. B o t t s. Bots. Mm. Mm-hmm. Good for him. Oh, his mother, his mother must be proud. Oh no! You know what? They they were phased out right. in California, starting in twenty seventeen. Why? I don't know. Because being able to see the lines on the freeway, oh, just a hazard. That's an odd thing to phase out. Oh, I guess because they were, uh, because they could break apart. And spray debris towards traffic. Oh, we'll embed it in embed it in the in the road. Let me let me ask you something, Jake. Are you ready to sit through years of redoing every road in California for them to do that? Yeah, you know long. Know, that but they're doing all this new work on it anyway. Why not just fucking throw a reflective little square in there while you're doing it? 
I like your thinking, but uh, who's going to pay for this? Me? I was just going to say they're going to come at you for taxes so fast. They will. I don't mind paying taxes if it's going to good stuff. I don't mind it. I know that's weird to say. I know that's weird to say. But you know who should be else should be paying those taxes? Giant corporations. That's who else should be paying their taxes. Tax the rich. Yeah, please. But if they have more money, then they can open more businesses and then more jobs. <laughs> oh, trickle down. More jobs means more money. I got listen. <laughs> I got bad news for my for my uh, for my conservative friends. I'm still waiting for my trickle down money from the '80s. <laughs> All right, <laughs> I'm still waiting. Mm, maybe it's like, someday. It's like those Trump checks I never got for for the pandemic. Mm-hmm. I'm still waiting on those. Yeah. Um, listen, guys, uh, we're gonna address the elephant in the room. Obviously, there were some some very big news this week, and we don't often get into this kind of stuff here, but uh, we missed uh, Tashiro Mifune's uh, birthday. So, uh, happy birthday, Tashiro Mifune, the greatest samurai. Whoever lived and star of uh, Seven Samurai, of course, which we watched here. Uh, that, that's it. That's all I wanted to get into. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's wrong, Kalea? Kalea, are you okay? <laughs> May he rest in peace. I just peace. wanted to take a drink of my coffee. Oh, sorry, man. Uh, let me tell you something. I, on me. That let me was t- my timing. Let me tell you something I did see in the news today. This is just going to be me complaining and you guys reacting to it. And if you have any complaints about society, please, now's the time to bring them up. Um, apparently, there was a video that went around on TikTok, and it was a lady who went to Trader Joe's with her dog, and her dog peed. And the employee was like, hey, your dog peed? And she's like, my dog didn't pee. And she's like, yes, here's a paper towel. Go clean it up. And the lady was taken aback that she would be asked to clean up after her dog. Uh, now listen, I, I try to be positive. Uh, you know, we, we joke about Gen X versus the boomers versus millennials versus, um, listen, and I'm, I try to be positive about the millennials. I do. Um, but listen, this bullshit of taking your dog everywhere, uh, all started when you millennials started referring to pets as fur babies and God, that makes me want to throw up when I say that term. Um, but yeah, listen, your dogs are dogs. They'll be fine at home. Uh, they're good for a couple of hours on their own. Uh, you can leave them around. They just want to bark at the mailman and do fun stuff. They'll be okay. They don't need to go shopping with you. You don't need to carry them in a stroller, uh, that you don't need to take them out, uh, places. They don't need to go places. They don't need to be in a restaurant with you. They don't need to be at Trader Joe's with you. They don't need to be in Nordstrom, uh, anywhere. They don't need to be Miller's Outpost. Uh, they don't need to be anywhere with you. Zodis, Gemco. And also, people are allergic to dogs, you selfish pricks. That's it. That's all I wanted to say. Um, hey, Jacob, what you, what you got there? That's my fur baby. <laughs> my sweet little fur baby. Oh, God. Oh, God. I have a little mesh backpack if I want to take her out. I get it. I get, listen, I get it, millennials. Listen, some of you don't want kids. I get that. I get it. Uh, but a baby and a and an animal are different things. Don't do not try to equate those things. Oh well, I'm a pet parent. <sighs> you have a dog. I don't, I don't want to get technical, but um, I'm not a millennial. I am Gen Z. Right. I know this. Um, 
Therefore, I think that my uh, perception of animals transcends fur baby. We are all beings of this earth. Right. <laughs> uh, we all deserve to take up space. Sure. I don't disagree with any of this. But I'm not taking my cat to the supermarket. <laughs> <laughs> right. Dude, I see people carry their dogs in. When I see people walk into a restaurant That's with right. a dog, okay. I freak out because dogs, listen. I don't care how good of a pet parent you are. I don't care how clean your fur, fur baby is. Dogs are dirty animals. They are. They like my dog will dig up worms, drag them to the middle of the patio, and then rub the smell of the dead worm carcass all over himself. I don't know why he does it. We can't figure it out. That's one of his favorite things to do. He finds those worms, puts them on the, and just rubs all over them. You want that in a restaurant? Am I going to take my dog? Inside a restaurant now? Oh, let's go to Ruth's Chris and have a nice uh, ribeye, maybe a tomahawk mm. steak. And I'm gonna. He's sp- perfuming himself. Yeah, and you know, maybe, the Michelin star restaurant. He's, I don't know. He's some kind of maybe he's some kind of warrior poet that I don't know about, and this is part of his sacred ritual. But uh, before he barks at the Amazon delivery man, this is part of like he's, he's you know, imbuing the spirits of the dead worms to help him. I don't know what he's doing, but dogs are. He's honoring them. Yeah, he's honoring. So I don't know what he's doing. Dogs though are are they're, they're dirty. They're dirty. That's what they do. They they eat poop and they do things and they you know and everybody's like not my dog. All dogs, all dogs do dirty things, right? They don't you clean them. Your dog eats shit. Your dog eats shit. Yeah. Oh yeah. They don't and clean it's themselves. Shit, it's some other weird smelling stuff that you don't want to know about when you're not looking. Hey, and oh, I yeah. hate to tell you this, cats, because I have a cat and I love her to death. Your little half-assed uh, bath that you give yourself—it's not going to cut it around here, right? You're getting—you're <laughs> getting in there with My some cat. shampoo once in a while, all right? Mm-hmm. My cat's clean. <laughs> Breath not so much, but you, you can't know. lick your fur with the same tongue you lick your butthole with and then think it's going to be clean. That's not how it works, cats. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I appreciate I the effort. Get it. I appreciate it. and roll in the dirt. Right. right. You know? Right. I appreciate it. I appreciate the efforts cats give. And uh, I do like their air of superiority, like they're better than the dogs, but they're really not. You're all filthy animals, and you need a bath once in a while. All right? Cats are like hippies, though. They're like, oh, I just I just put some patchouli on it, and I'm fine. No, it's not. I'm more of a Nag Champa guy myself, but I, I get what you're saying. <laughs> Bathing in kombucha is not going to get that smell to go away. <laughs> No, but that'll make your stomach biome real good. <laughs> yeah, gotta, gotta, <laughs> that'll make you a real good stomach biome. Targeted. Uh, <laughs> oh wait, are you are you a kombucha drinker? Is that you drinking? Drink a nice kombucha. I feel uh, kombucha. All all the hippie jokes you could make. Are you a hippie? I didn't know. I didn't get that. You know, because you don't dress like a hippie. You're a very well dressed 1940s retro hippie. You, you um, maybe you're I more like a beatnik. I have like a lot of facets to my style because I like when I get dressed up, I de- tend to go for like a vintagey right uh, look and, or silhouette at least. But in like my more casual stuff, I kind of dress like um, like a hippie. It's a lot of Birkenstocks, long skirts. Wow, yeah. you freaking hippie! Great freaking hippie. Uh, 
do you leave any? I'm going to steal a joke from Zach Galifianakis. Are there any? Uh, uh, are there any hackies that you leave unsacked? You know, I've actually never like done anything with a hacky sack. Then you're not a true hippie. You better get out there with those cats and start practicing. Mm. Wow. I have so much more of my identity to explore. Thank you. <laughs> you haven't lived till you've sacked a hacky. Right? <laughs> I've never done it either, so it's okay. It's all right. Uh, yeah, I didn't. Uh, I don't get a strong hippie vibe from you. You kombucha drinking uh, flower girl, but uh, you know, I can see oh. it though because you're generally you tend to be pretty positive. Uh, you embrace everyone. Like you have a very hippie mentality. I get, I do, I do agree with that. Thank you. Yeah. And I'm not yeah. using, I'm not using it in a pejorative. I'm just saying that, that that's like a, like ideally before they turned into the baby boomers, we all hate the hippies were pretty good. Right. They had some good right. ideas. I mean, you know, right. Sure. I was a fan of some of their ideas. Sure. I mean, they sold out. They all became, you know, big Reagan people in the eighties, but you know, just do, do, just do it all. Just don't sell out. I won't. All right. I won't. Mm-hmm. No Reaganomics for me. Why not, man? You don't want some of that sweet, sweet trickle down money. It's coming. It's coming. Monopoly is a board game, not a reality. I want to live. Wow. That was a good one. That was, that was good. Yeah. That's, that's nice. That was that's good. Fun. Hey, you should. Hey, you should run for office. That's a good slogan right there. Sure. <laughs> that's a good. That's a good third party slogan right there. Speaking of uh, running for office, are you watching all these uh, uh, conservatives go nuts and uh, and 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 ditch their uh, Bud Light because Bud Light Bud Light uh, partnered with a, a trans artist to do some of their artwork on their cans, and they uh, so now Kid Rock went out and shot a bunch of his Bud Light with a uh, with a with a machine gun. That's mature. Yeah. That's good. Kid Rock, man. Struggling for relevancy. Well, the great thing is that they uh, they all said they're going to switch to Coors Light, and Coors Light has been supporting, like, LGBTQ for, like, a long time now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if they could do it by the same, by the same artist right. making some work for that. Oh. It's Stick really it frustrating how... Like, there's such a strong dichotomy in the conversation between, like, conservatives and liberals, especially over the Bud Light issue, that it's people are boycotting a brand because there's any sort of affiliation with the LGBTQIA plus community. But then on the flip side of that, there's no room because that conversation takes up so much space in the media right now. There's no room for liberals to say, thank you for the collaboration. This is great representation, but can we talk about the huge link between addiction and being queer and the danger you face having a queer identity and what it means to have that relationship glorified in the media? We were, I was just thinking about this and it's funny. I was, uh, the cynical part of me was saying, that it's crazy that conservatives are getting so freaked out over something that is just sort of a corporate attempt to tap into another market, right? If you're looking at it, if you're just looking at it crassly, it's like, do they really support it? Or it's like, hey, here's some untapped dollars. You know what I mean? I'll give you an example of this uh, that is not, uh, that's a little different, but it's like, uh, you know, when the Dodgers came to um, 
Los Angeles, they displaced a huge amount of people in the Chavez Ravine area, um, mostly Latino. And that was a, a scar that didn't heal until the advent of Fernando Mania in the 1980s when the Dodgers brought pitcher Fernando Valenzuela from Mexico. And all of a sudden, the Latino fan base for the Dodgers just swelled, just swelled, exploded popularity. Um, and to this day, I just went to opening day last week and he was throughout the first pitch and still gets a stadium full of people, an ovation, you know, 40 years later. Uh, but that was an attempt by the Dodgers. There was an attempt from the time they reached Los Angeles to tap into that market because they knew, hey, there's a lot of Latino people here in California, in Southern California, and they will respond to having one of their own here. So in a way, it's like he is a legend and he did bring a lot of people and there are a lot of people who idolize him, myself included. But also you have to understand that this was a calculated move by the Dodgers to also bring somebody from that. You know, they wanted a Mexican Sandy Koufax, quote unquote, is what they wanted. Um, mm. So yeah, there's that attempt. It's, and it's the same thing with, with, with all these, you know, uh, companies embracing pride month, right? Um, at the end of the day, they're just, they're trying to sell to, Hey, look, Adidas, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a white liberal person. Adidas supports, you know, my trans friends. So I'm going to buy Adidas shoes because they're not, you know, it's one of those things. It's, it's, there, there's, there's definitely marketing in play. So how much of that is actual support and how much of that is marketing? Right. There's marketing in play. And to touch on what you just said about how much of that is support, how do we actually define that support? What does it get categorized into if anything, but performative, right? Are you hiring are you hiring right. gay and trans people? Are you supporting them? Are you, you know, giving them through, you know, are you giving them insurance, you know, so that they can have uh, care, uh, mental health care and things like that? Or is this just lip service? Are you just saying, hey, hey, gay people, we see you. Hey, trans people, we see you. And, um, you know, thumbs up, but that's it. You know, is it just lip right. service? Right. And who's the consumer that you're really selling to as well? Because what you like what you just offered is realistically, it's probably not going to be people who are um, identifying with the queer community because the queer community has come out countless years in a row talking about what ends up happening with businesses in Pride Month and how for them, like their quote unquote merch is so much more than just stamping a flag. It's the ability to dress how you want. It's the ability to have things be um, as non-binary as you'd like. It's the opportunity to trade, create, and sell amongst yourselves. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. If, Go ahead, if Jake. If they supported that community, there would be a track record already and not something that pops up once a year. Right. So how do mm -hmm. we find... So, Kalei, how do we find those companies that put their money where their mouth is and give... Uh, you know, one hundred percent support. Um, my personal philosophy is that it there, not that there's no ethical consumption under capitalism, but you, if you really want it to be a hundred percent support, go on Etsy, go buy from a black queer artist, right? Uh, go support local businesses where you have faces to interact with, and you know who's running it, right? Which isn't necessarily uh, a financial option for everyone, but when and where you can. Sure. Uh, no, it's 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 an interesting 
um, <clears throat> it's like anything else. It's like Hispanic Heritage Month or, 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 or you know, or any other, w- when companies kind of like um, showcase almost a minority or, you know, a certain group, um, it's almost how much of this is actual support and how much of this is just us, like, like I said, us saying, hey, we see you. Um, yeah, I, I do try to go ahead. I'm sorry. Because if the issue is that, if the issue is that we need to make these changes because they're not a norm in our world, what does, what do things like merch and representation in a media campaign really do for that versus like what you were offering earlier, giving them access to social contracts that we've already given so easily to other people, right? Healthcare benefits, mental health support, looking at the equity of it all. Right. And, you know, speaking as a, as a, as a minority, I will say that all, and I, I can't speak to, I can't, I, I don't know if this is the same for members of the LGBTQ community. Uh, I, I don't know, but all we want to do is, you know, we want to be invisible as far as it's not a big deal if we're applying for a job or it's not a big deal if we're, uh, we shouldn't have to, it shouldn't have to be news when someone who looks like me is, uh, you know, a superhero or stars in a movie or writes a book or it should just be like anything else. That's all we want. That's all we want is just to be um, just part of the mainstream society without having to force our way in, without mm-hmm. having to, without having to have a special, you know, be given special access to, to be a part of the, the greater, you know, you know, having a, doing this, this podcast is a, you know, we talk about pop culture a lot, but I mean, um, even in the, in the 10 years we've been doing this podcast, pop culture has changed in a lot of ways. There's a much more representation in a lot of areas, but there's still a long way to go. And I, I think I'll say that, it, you know, for, for my part, I just want it to be not to be, I don't want to have to make a big deal when someone like Pedro Pascal is takes off his mask and it's like, Hey, that dude's Latino. You know what I mean? Uh, I just want it to be like, hey, it's just like, hey, that's Pedro Pascal. He's a great actor. That's all we want. That's all anybody really wants is just be like, you know, but it's it's having to, it's fighting that resistance to that idea because a group of people feel like their culture is changing because they're suddenly not the center of everything. But you still, guys, you're the still, you're, you're the center of like 90% of all the other... <laughs> percent of all pop culture is still centered around you so you why are you so upset when uh oh they're gonna make captain america a black guy yeah that's what they did in the comics oh my Um, god they made ariel they made ariel a black girl oh my god God. ariel's a black mermaid mermaids are mythical creatures who you know what i mean i mean you guys already made jesus white that's a big one that's a big one. That's a big one, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. It's, it's hard. It's rough. It's, it's hard. Um, you, you wish it wasn't such a big deal. You wish we could just be like, Hey, that these people exist. Uh, and it's fine. You know, all people want is to exist. That's all it is. People just want to exist in peace. And, and pursue their lives and, and do the same thing. Everybody, they just want your boring suburban life. That's what they want. They want to go to work, come home, complain, cook a mediocre meal, go to bed, and then watch some bad television, go to bed, and then do it all again. That's all they want without anybody bothering them. Is it too much to ask? 
is it? Is it too much to ask? Fight the power, you guys. Uh-huh. And step on the gas when the light turns green. That's all I want. That's yeah, all I want. <laughs> To fight the power and to drive just a little bit over the speed limit. <laughs> just get up to the speed limit quickly. Just a little. Like five miles over the speed limit. Every okay. every car commercial you see shows you that zero to sixty. Oh, the zero to sixty and blah blah blah. Zero to sixty and blah blah blah. Why if you're not using it, what what what's the point? What is it good for? <sighs> Absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Kalei, as always, I appreciate your insight. As a, as as a you, do you, Kalei, do you feel like things are are moving? Or do you feel like in your lifetime things have gotten better or things have gotten worse as far as representation, as far as uh, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not optics, but as far as just like I feel like I felt like we were doing well, and I feel like we've taken steps back. I feel like we've taken steps back. I feel like a lot of people's perception of how we're doing has to do with who they're surrounded by. Um, Because there's like the mass scale of how we measure this of like what's going on in the media and current events. And then there's like lived experience and like what you experience and you're like within the people in your community. Right. And um, I feel like for uh, I feel like the last like four years, cause I kind of grew up in a bubble of like, yes, there was like lack of representation and things like that. But my family was so very much from both like the, um, from both like the race context for my mom's side of the family and then the queer context for my mom's side of the family as well, it was just like, this is normal. There is no question about it. Like, we all deserve to take up space, that sort of a thing. And then when I went to college, I feel like I had, like, a lot of my perception shattered by hearing about people who were coming from, like, other parts of the country. Right. So to answer your question, I don't know, because right now I feel like I'm still uh, finding my footing. I'm gonna We've all- made We've made progress in that there's like you can say we've made progress if you look compared to like the 80s to now. Right. Like we actually treat HIV and AIDS. We're actually making an effort. Um, But then if you look at it, uh, people who identify as gay still can't donate blood. Right. Right. So (laughs) we were just talking about this. uh, John Tandy and I were just talking about this yesterday. Um, you know, in our lifetime, you know, you know, AIDS went from a death sentence to something that now can be controlled and almost quote unquote cured because you can get to a point where you're not contagious anymore. Right. With your HIV positive. <clears throat> and, uh, it's, it's almost like you don't even hear about it anymore. You know, it's almost like to the point where, you know, it, 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 it consumed the news cycle and it was, people were so fearful of it. Um, uh, and then now here we are, you know, 40 years later and it's like, well, it's pretty much under control. Even if you have it, it's not a death sentence anymore. Um, so, you know, that's progress in one area, right? Because that took a lot of the stigma away from gay people, right? Because it was like, oh, that's a gay disease or, and it, it wasn't, I mean, it was, it, it, it uh, you know, it, it, it rocked the, the gay community just because nobody knew how it was transmitted and nobody knew you know, at first, and they, you know, but it didn't, it wasn't 
it wasn't um, exclusive to the gay community. Um, but here we are 40 years later and it's just like, you know, like, but the thing, the key there was people like Magic Johnson had to get it in order for people to take it seriously and say, oh, hey, wait a minute. Magic Johnson, Magic Johnson's not gay. Anybody can get this disease, you know? Um, it had to be, take like, you know, it, it really took somebody that big. And I think sometimes these causes that we have, it's it's like, in this sense, this is going to sound so awful because I do not want, want this to happen, but it's almost like it's going to take, you know, a mass shooter to, to, to kill somebody famous on accident for people to want to really change things. You know what I mean? Like, you know, it, that's what Absolutely. it's gonna. That's what it's gonna take because that's just how we operate as a society. Right? Well, and I think we've also seen that from issue to issue, we don't handle problems as a whole. We pr- we handle like the subgroup it affects, like with HIV and AIDS. Like you know, as uh, granted, as a U as the U.S., we've shifted, but as the world, the queer population is now no longer who it. Like the gay population is no longer being like holding all the responsibility for the disease, but, and we're um, able to treat them at the same time. We're not able to formulate a plan to resource or help the AIDS issue in Africa. Right. Jake, you had something to say. You have a, you're raising your hand. Doing good. Okay. Well, you, you guys are doing great saying everything that I would probably have thought to say. <laughs> well, we're, you know, the, it's, 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 it is nice to talk about this stuff because we're never going to, we are not going to solve it on this podcast. But uh, it's nice to have a place to talk about it sometimes. Mm-hmm. Listen, sometimes like we, we all, like we say sometimes, guys, it's not always it's not always going to be hobbits and lightsabers. Sometimes we talk about uh, issues. Mm-hmm. But I do want to I do want to reward you both. We're going to read an "Am I the a hole?" I'm going to read it for you guys. All right. Well, you're going to do it this time. I'll do it this oh, time. I'm so excited. So you get to you get to participate, Jake. Uh, am I the a hole for making my girlfriend leave the country? I'm already leaning towards yes on this. I, and keep in mind, I have not read this. I have not read this. I Just keep an open mind. Hold on. <laughs> like, give, him a, give him a chance. I, 28 male, have been dating my girlfriend, 27 female, for five years. We met in college where she was an international student. She started working after graduating while I am currently doing a master's. First of all, doing a master's, that does not sound like you're do, you're working on your master's. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, that's just me. Uh, you know, Her company was sponsoring her visa until they bought, got bought out and she got laid off. She was given a limited time to find a new employer to sponsor her, and it really stressed her out. She was applying to jobs every day and did a lot of interviews, but unfortunately wasn't able to get an offer. She really wanted to stay since she loves the place, and I would still be... Uh, here in the country. While I was out with a buddy, he suggested that I sponsor her visa since we have been in a relationship for quite some time. I love her and I don't want to see her so stressed out. I told her about the idea and she was hesitant at first. She said she didn't want me to think that she was with me so I could be her way to a permanent residence slash citizenship to the country. I wanted her to stay and I wanted to do it. We consulted an immigration uh, consultant and decided to do the paperwork on our own. She was the one who mostly looked into the stuff we needed to prepare. She still applied for jobs, but not as urgently as she used to. It took a while since we never really had anything joint. We lived together and just split the bills on our own. She had enough saved to be okay for a while. I had to fill out paperwork to be her sponsor, and I felt uneasy about it. I did want her to stay, but it felt like it was too much. 
Eventually, she was done with her part, and all that was left was mine. I finally told her that I didn't want to go through with it. She was very upset and asked why. I told her that I suggested the idea because I didn't want to see her stressed out all the time, and that I eventually realized that I shouldn't have to be responsible for her. We had a long talk where I told her that I still don't want to be in a re- that I still want to be in a relationship with her, but I just don't want to be forced to be responsible for her. She said she felt very hurt by what I said. I just saw Kalei's reaction. <laughs> Things changed, and she didn't really talk to me after. She kept applying for jobs and attending interviews, but she eventually her visa expired. Before she left, I told her I love her and that I would really want her to come back. However, she told me that she sees me differently after the things I told her. It's been a few weeks since she left. I miss her cooking, her presence, and being able to spend time with her. I still want a future with her. However, our close friends have been telling me that I was an asshole. I disagree and think they are biased. So I am asking Reddit, uh, am I the asshole? Uh, Yes. Yes, you suck. (laughs) What does that mean? I don't want to be responsible for you. I don't get what that means. I what does it entail to become a sponsor? It, like what? What is what is what is the big responsibility that he's alluding to? That is was just too much for him to handle. Uh, I I think it's because he just didn't. It sounds like he just doesn't want to fill out the paperwork. That's like, what it feels like. Like yeah. he got to the paperwork and was like, "I'm over it." No, it sounds like he's scared of commitment. Also, or he's like, if I do this and you're only in the country with me. Right. Yeah. I then just offered as a sponsor. (laughs) He offered. He offered. I okay, first of all, they were together for five years. Right. Mm -hmm. Like that's a long time. And you were living together. Let's say they were only living together a year, still four years together, living together a year. That's a long time. Like, why would you be so uncomfortable being responsible for her? Are you ready? I've been responsible for her living situation. There's an edit. And it it directs uh, one of Jake's. Here we go. I have read through a lot of the comments, and everyone seems to think I'm the asshole here. (laughs) Uh, To those asking what my responsibilities would be, Jacob, I would have to be financially responsible for her for three years. If she gets any government assistance or welfare, I would have to pay it back. I also can't sponsor anyone else until the three years have passed. Okay, first of all, why would you need to sponsor anyone else? And yeah, second of all, second of all, you and you said you half anyway, and yeah, you said you were spl- you've been splitting half the bills for five years. So she would pay for half, or I'm assuming anyway. She's still gonna get a job. Is it she because she get jobs? He just didn't want to pay for everything because she was gonna get hired. Also, I listed what I missed about her in no particular order. I listed that I miss her cooking first, but it doesn't mean I don't miss her. To the people who said I'm probably an immigrant, (laughs) I'm probably an immigrant too. What does that have anything? What does that have to do with anything? My parents moved to where we are, so now here I am. Wow, they were right. People were right. I still stand by what I said. Uh, No one I know has to do anything like this. It just doesn't feel normal. I would want to eventually have a home with her, but I don't think anyone should have to be responsible for another person's decisions or their circumstances. First of all, you have no idea what a marriage is all about, pal. So, uh, you know, uh, she's dodging a bullet. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Okay. So 
That's wonderful for him. His brain's fully developed. Here we go. Someone wrote, I can't believe you wrote all that out and you were still unsure of yourself. You convinced your girlfriend to go down a path, let her complete her side, and then realized you were unsure of your five-year relationship, meaning the only solution would be for her to have her leave the country. You're the asshole, and I hope she finds a better life. (laughs) You should have posted this to Am I the Devil? (laughs) Just evil. You offered, you lied. Uh, someone else put LMFAO. You should have put ex girlfriend. Uh, wow. Man, this guy's getting yeah. this guy's getting roasted. Yeah, that, that's. I mean, come on, they were splitting half anyway, so the financial part wasn't even an issue. Like that, it's she's just, just say you can't commit, bro. Just say just, you can't commit, or don't offer if you're not a hundred percent sure. Don't offer in the first place. Just don't. I don't. Right. That's, yeah, I mean, we all do. We've all offered stuff that we regret later. Like, oh yeah, if you need help moving, just let me know. It's like, why did I say that out loud? Because it's it's part mm-hmm. of the social contract, right? That's uh, so funny. I right. got myself into helping someone move today. Oh no! Get out I of it! Get out of it! Do they listen yeah, to the podcast? So, yeah. So after the podcast, so my childhood best friend Daniel lives with me in the upstairs bedroom, and he's moving in with his girlfriend. And he was like, "Hey, like." um, do you want to help me move all the stuff out of the room? And I was like, no. And he was like, okay, but you're going to be there. Right. And I was like, yeah. And he was like, so you're going to help me move stuff out of the room. No, no, I'm not. No, you're, you're a big boy, Daniel. How old is Daniel? Daniel's 23. Okay. Okay. Look, there's up to 30. You take five years away from a guy from his physical age. And that gives you his mental age. So you're dealing with an 18 year old. Right. You're yes. dealing with an 18 year old. And this is not, to, I'm not trying to slam you, Daniel. I hope you listen to the show and I hope you keep listening. <laughs> Tell your friends about it. But here's the thing. Clay <laughs> has things to do, man. All right. You should have been responsible and gotten your stuff together. You knew you were moving out. I don't know how much time you had, but I know you probably spent some of this time on the TikToks or watching the YouTubes or whatever you were doing. Right. You had time to do it. And now it's not Clay's job to help you get out of it right? She's responsible. She handles her own biz. All right. So if you want to have that Riz, like I know the guys your age want to do, uh, you're going to have it by uh, handling your shit and not having your childhood best friend bail you out. All right. Shift's kiss poetry. You know, because we are childhood best friends, we do talk a lot like siblings. Right. So it's also one of those things where I think, like, you're you're going to help me. Well, what you're going to do is you are going to help, but you're going to be there for moral support. You're going to be there going. You're going to go. I mean, go. Just go sit hey, there. Hey, you hold up. Shirt. Like, There's a shirt in the corner. Yeah. And you forgot. Or, like, hold up a sign. Like, every time he picks up something heavy, like, hold up a sign and, like, give it give it, like, a score. Like, oh, that was a six. Your form. Use your, use your, use your legs, use not your, your back. back. Use your legs, not your back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 All right. <laughs> Daniel, good luck with your move. Uh, we're going to take a quick, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about uh, Jackie Brown. All right, let's take a quick break guys. We'll be right back after these messages. I started the countdown and the kids, uh, started bopping their heads. Both of you guys together. Three mm-hmm. and two and one, two, three. Mm, 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 
<laughs> what Taylor Swift song are you singing in your head when you do that, Kawhi? <clears throat> right there, I was really just bopping to the... Nah, but, nah, if, nah, if, nah, but now, nah, like, nah, the song that's nah. always playing in my head lately is Lavender Haze. Go watch the music video, everybody. It's beautiful. All right. I won't be doing it. All my friends waited to watch it together when it premiered. Oh, my God. You Mm -hmm. guys are so weird. But uh, (laughs) (laughs) adorable is what I meant to say. Adorable. It was a blast. Mm -hmm. Hey, when the... I'll give, you, mm-hmm. I'll give you a little, no, I'll give you a little, uh, t- t- talking about how things, talking about how things have changed, perceptions of people. Uh, Michael Jackson, uh, when he dropped the thriller video, this is before we knew anything about what Michael was up to, but when he dropped the thriller video in the eighties, it premiered on MTV. Well, you know, we didn't have cable. My cousin went and rented a VCR back when you could rent VCRs. It's a giant VCR with dials on it. She rented a VCR because her friend had recorded the MTV, the Michael Jackson video. We all went over to my cousin's house to watch the 30-minute Michael Jackson thriller video that was bootlegged off of MTV. That's how you talk about like a cult. We're just talking about this in the, uh, in, the in, in the break. We're talking about personalities of celebrities of a cult growing around them. Uh, yeah, we all did. I was like 12, 11 or 12 when that came out. No, when Thriller came out, I think it was... It was 83. I was, yeah, I was 12. I was like 12 years old. It was a huge, it was a phenomenon, cultural phenomenon. That was the first record I bought with my own money. First record album. You open the 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 the, 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 the gatefold and inside was a picture of Michael Jackson laying down on his side holding a tiger. Holding a tiger. No. That's hot. <laughs> That's hot. No. That's good. That's good. <laughs> The original Tiger King. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. They did call him the King of Pop, so, you know. He was the Taylor Swift of his day. Mm -hmm. Um, Um, Just to give you some, like, a little more, like, generational fun with that, my introduction to Michael Jackson's thriller was through the film 13 going on 30. Oh, wow. When she has the thriller dance thing. Right. She's like, right, yeah. That was huge. It yeah, was that, huge. That, was that huge. dress was a, a cultural moment. A lot of people <laughs> dressed up as her for Halloween That's last so year. Funny. That's hilarious. Um, that is a cute movie. Thirteen. <laughs> when you're, well, you know what's funny now is like you know growing up in the eighties, we had Back to the Future, right? So Back to the Future was you went back to the fifties. Perfect movie. And the, and the fifties were like a big thing in the eighties. It was like a time when it was. It's like almost like every thirty years you look back and you go, "Oh my God, here we are." So, because just like in Singing in the Rain, they look back to the 20s, right? They look back to the, you know, it's like you always tend to look back like 30 years. Now, you know, you look back, you know, now we're 40 years past. And it's funny to think of like how the 80s now are kind of that decade for the, like the decade, you know, the, 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 the hair, the, the pastels, everything for the 80s. There's a lot of stuff that you can kind of lampoon and make fun of. And so it's funny that those, there's like a whole spate of those movies of people going back to like the eighties. It's crazy. Uh, I think it's funny now because it's like, Oh, well now I know how my parents felt when I was Mm -hmm. watching back to the future. So yeah, you know, to your cousin, Marvin, Marvin Barry. Um, we watched a movie, uh, speaking of music, we watched a movie with a lot of great music in it. We watched a movie called Jackie Brown, which is of course the story, the autobiography of Jackson Brown. 
uh, who sang uh, Running on Empty. I'm kidding. Kelly's like, wait, did I watch the wrong movie? <laughs> <laughs> that like, makes sense. Yeah. I'm like, oh, okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. Uh, I'm like, that does not sound like a Quentin Tarantino movie. What if me. it was... What if it was a, what if it was Jack E. Brown, like and it was it, okay. was it was the autobiography of somebody you never heard of, but his name was Jack E. Brown, and that was the movie I wanted you guys, I wanted you guys to watch. Well, we watched Quentin Tarantino, movie, so. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what we're talking about. <laughs> Jake, Jakey, why don't you tell us a why don't you tell us a little bit about that movie? Sure, sure, sure. 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 Jack E. Brown, directed by Quentin Tarantino. Uh, debuted December 25th, 1997 at a 7.5 on IMDb, 80%, 87% on Rotten Tomatoes. Movie depicts the story of Jackie Brown when flight attendant is busted smuggling money from her arms dealer or Del Robbie, played by Samuel Jackson, Agent Ray Nicolette, played by Michael Keaton, and Detective Mark Dargis, played by Michael Bowen, want to help her bring down Robbie. Uh, facing jail time for her silence or or death for her cooperation. Brown decides to double-cross both parties and make off with the smuggled money. Meanwhile, she enlists the help of a bondsman, Max Cherry, played by Robert Foster, a man who loves her. Robert Forster. Forster, sorry. Uh, so you, Kalei, you missed out on, uh, we, we, we watched some vintage Pam Greer movies uh, some you blacks, guys don't want to guess the money? Some blacks. Oh, that's right. That's right. I'm sorry. Office? I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Terrible budget of $12 million. Clay, how much do you think you made? $200 million. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm going to guess th- uh, this was a hit because it was Quentin Tarantino, but it was a mm-hmm. lot different than people were expecting. It was a lot more of a straightforward movie than people mm-hmm. were expecting after Pulp Fiction and, uh, and uh, Reservoir Dogs. So I'm going to say uh, I'm gonna say it made somewhere in the neighborhood of $150 million. Uh, with a total box office of seventy four point seven million. Okay. Oh, I'm surprised because it's a Christmas release too. I feel like Christmas releases do really well. Right. Now, would you consider this a Christmas movie? Mm, no, because they don't. <laughs> I would consider this a Christmas movie, but Boondock Saints is still my favorite Christmas movie. Your favorite? Oh, is that really your favorite Christmas movie? Uh, yeah, one time I said, Dad, let's watch a Christmas movie instead of an action movie together. And he said, okay. And he picked Boondock Saints because there's a Christmas tree in one scene. <laughs> yeah, it's for Christmas. I haven't seen that movie in forever. So um, it's my favorite Christmas movie. Uh, there, what, what movie was I watching the other day where I was like, oh, Christmas tree. It's like, why don't we think about this drink? I forgot what it was. I was watching something silly. I was like, oh, we got to put that out of the Christmas uh, movie list. Uh, so you missed out, Kalei, on some of our vintage uh, Pam Greer. We got we got to see some some Pam Greer highlights. We watched a couple of her her classic black exploitation movies like Coffee and uh, Foxy Brown. And uh, did we watch Foxy? We did watch Foxy Brown, did we? Or did we just watch Coffee? We watched Coffee for sure. Uh, anyway, uh, were you familiar with Pam Greer at all before watching this movie? Oh. I was not. This is my first Pam Greer movie. All right. Well, great. That's going to be a that's going to be a nice a launching point. Uh, how familiar were, were you with the work of uh, Quentin Tarantino? You and your cat. Uh, enough to not be surprised when I saw Feet. 
this was a lot more apparent than some of his other films. <laughs> well, because <laughs> like, it's not. a good <laughs> 10 second zoom in on um, Melanie's feet there. Listen, we don't, we don't, we don't kink shame. We don't kink shame around here, but that, that is we a weird thing. We don't kink shame. That wouldn't make us better than other people. But that is a weird sure. thing. Uh, feet of all, because I, I hate feet. I hate it. Please put a, please put a shoe on. Please put a, please cover your feet. Yeah, we do shot shame here though. And that was an unnecessary shot. Okay. I like that. I like your, I like, mm-hmm. the, I like the distinction there. Um, <laughs> I don't care how manicured you are. I don't care how, how I don't care how pedicured you are. It, they all look like Velociraptor feet. Are you saying you didn't like Bridget Fonda's feet? Uh, I thought I actually thought I hadn't seen this movie in a long time. I actually thought Bridget Fonda did a great job in this movie. So we're going to talk yeah. about that. Uh, but yeah, this is a this is a very different kind of a take for this is based on an Elmore Leonard novel. Elmore Leonard had a moment in Hollywood in the nineties. Uh, I believe Out of Sight was an, was an Elmore Leonard. Get Shorty was another one. And there's one I'm missing. Um, another one I'm missing. This one, and then he did another one. I forgot what the other big one was. But yeah, there was like a, a, a moment in the mid-90s where everybody started adapting Elmore Leonard novels. Because um, they were kind of like these laid-back sort of stories about, you know, the un, you know underworld or, or, you know, people like on the, on the brain, you know, like criminals and stuff. But they were done in a way that was like, uh, not super gritty in a way. Almost, they made the characters likable, and they're very. Um, uh, I think this was based on Rum Punch. I think is the name of the book that this one's. Called. Yeah, Rum Punch. Yeah, uh, there's one more I'm missing that I can't think of. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, so this is a very, this is a very different. I mean, there are Quentin Tarantino elements in it, but it's probably the least Quentin Tarantino of all the Tarantino uh, movies. You know, the, I, the bit when they had when the sting went down, it did remind me a lot of Reservoir Dogs, where he was jumping time, or he was showing points of views around the same time period. Right, oh, right, 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 right. Yeah, that that's true. I mean, there there, there are. I'm not to say there isn't, mm-hmm. uh, but there um, it, it definitely wasn't as much of a time jump. Uh, right there was. I mean, there was a little bit of rewinding and going back. And yeah. um, I can't think of the other one. Get Shorty, Out of Sight, Jackie Brown. There's a couple of other ones that I can't think of. It'll come to me later. Um, but yeah. Uh, so, but this was also a nice, um, I really, not- I was really noticing this time, Pam Greer's performance, awesome. Gives her one of her best roles that she's ever had. Um, why this woman didn't have more of a career. We talked about this after watching some of her movies. Why she didn't have a career going into the eighties and nineties, because a, she's beautiful. Uh, B she's a B she's, I mean, totally believable in everything she plays. She, she, she made this, she made the character real. I felt like she was, she played her so realistically without Mm -hmm. trying to feel like it was. And then C just a likable, just a likable presence. She has like a, like a likable presence around her. Um, and so I don't understand why she didn't have more of a career, but I'm really thankful to directors like, you know, Tim Burton, even though he just stuck her in there for five minutes, but giving her something in something in Mars attacks. And then obviously Quentin Tarantino doing, and the same for Robert Forster. I love their, their relationship. I felt like they were realistic people. I felt like he was a very realistic and likable character, very pragmatic at first. And then, you know, um, 
I just like that they're, you know, when she's asking him, I love that conversation where they're having the coffee and she said, you know, do you worry about getting old? And he's like, well, I don't really think about it. You know, that seemed like an actual conversation. It seemed like very realistic and it, mm-hmm. it really grounded the characters for me. Um, but uh, yeah, I think they both did such a great job of just being the centerpiece of a movie where there's a lot of, they're not, there aren't a lot of other likable characters in the movie. Um, so uh, that we'll, we'll let's take it to Calais. Let's shoot it over to Calais. Uh, so you're familiar enough to Quentin, with Quentin Tarantino to know about his feet fetish, his foot fetish, but had you you had not seen this one before? No, I had not seen this one before. And uh, which have you have which ha, which Quentin which Quentin Tarantino movies have you seen? I've seen Pulp Fiction, not in its entirety. So that was it. You just had a little bit of that Pulp Fiction. That was really it, but I knew enough about his movies, especially because we've talked about it here. Right. The feet. Right. Um, so, what were your impressions watching it? Watching it? Uh, watching the movie? I love this movie. I thought it was. Well, okay. I don't know how much I love this movie and how much I love Samuel L. Jackson. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <You know? laughs> right. Right. Um, so good. Uh, so good. Menacing, uh, charming. <laughs> yes, and all the things. A great combination I, of both. Yes, the the costumes of this show. <laughs> I thought whoever I w- should look up the, who the costumer was because I just thought it was incredible. I mean, she goes in when she's in the, from her flight attendant um, suit to then when she's in with like her big collar. Right. I just thought that was such mm-hmm. a great choice, such a great like distinction of like her. Um, Character, you know, moving from a well-styled uniform into like a styled, almost personal choice, but then it's happening in this like context. I just, I thought they did a great job, yeah, uh, of pulling in um, the suit and the storyline. And I thought it did a lot for her character development. The detectives, I felt, were like stereotypical comic book detectives um in their styling i love that there's a scene where where michael keaton also a great return to michael keaton because he had been kind of he had laid kind of low and it was a nice little return for him and he doesn't he he doesn't have a lot to do in the movie but the few scenes that he he, he's in are really good but i love the scene where he takes it to eat and you can hear his leather jacket like squeaking as he's like cutting his knee like he doesn't take the jacket off he leaves like the cool leather jacket on. that really made me laugh this time around it's such a great little so, detail. Yes. And I think this movie had some great, like, long shots. Um, I especially loved the beginning one where she's, like, running to catch the plane. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like, that cool. built anticipation going in. I thought that was such a great choice. Um, and there was something else I really wanted to say. Oh, I love the way they went about that last, like, money interaction and, like, you know, different perspectives. I thought that was such a great choice. Right. Uh, you know, we make fun of Quentin Tarantino a lot here because he's, he's like, you know, he can be obnoxious when he's not, when he's just being a director and he's, he's just telling you, you know, what I like to do is I like to use a script and I feel like I can use the N word and, uh, you know, you know, just stuff like that. You're just like, Oh my God, shut up, dude. But the, the, the man has impeccable taste. You know, the, the man is a brilliant filmmaker um knows how to like you said knows how to shoot scenes knows how to shoot uh the, you, you can tell that he is just as in love with Pam Greer as Max Cherry is and the way he, she shot and not afraid mm-hmm. to shoot a you know a middle-aged woman close up 
you know, very little makeup, just lets her face tell the story. And he does the same thing with, I love that scene of the kiss at the end, right? Because it's like this middle-aged couple. It's not like this young, sexy couple, right? Like, you know, Max Cherry's older, he's balding, you know, he's, you know, he's, 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 he's got waist high pants on, you know, he only has like two polo shirts that he wears and a couple of, you know, sport coats and he's not the most stylish guy, but um, you can tell that there's a bond there. And the way he shot that scene, that last kiss, um, not a lot of people would shoot something like that. You know what I mean? At, th- at least at this point in time, people weren't quite revering the middle age and older actors as they do now. They do a little bit more. There's a little bit more respect there, right? Um, and it's probably because a lot of the actors of this generation have grown into those roles now, probably, right? Um, but I thought that was a really great choice of, for him to do that because he really lingers on that. And that whole last scene where he's on the phone and he sees her walking out and all that. Yeah. And you're, you're reading his face. Yeah. Yeah. All that whole scene is just, there's so much good acting there without the camera being intrusive. Um, he's just letting the actors act. Um, and he does that a lot in his movies. And so every time I watch a Quentin Tarantino movie, I'm always like, this is a guy who just loves actors like we do. He loves Samuel Jackson, obviously. Let's him do all those crazy scenes and be threatening and be charming and disarmingly, uh, disarmingly so at times. And uh, I, you know, and then to get someone like De Niro to do like a bit part like that, like an elevated bit part, I thought was great too. Because you know, here's Robert De Niro, heavyweight actor, just playing like a henchman, right? <laughs> he did such a wonderful job playing, um, playing him though. What was, what was his character? Name? I, I forgot his name. Um, uh, Lewis. Yeah. And then Bridget Fonda as like the mall, right? In the, like the, in the forties movies, she would have been the, the gangster's girlfriend, the, 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 the gangster mall. And she did such a great job just being, um, so flippant and, um, just her attitude towards, uh, you know, this is the, 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 the disrespect, not the disrespect, but the almost like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Sass. Yeah. The sass, you know, the, she's just so, God, I can't think of the word, you know, almost like a teenager. Mm-hmm. She's so dismissive of him. She's like the one person that's not afraid of how powerful he is. Right. Everybody else is kind of afraid of him. And she's just like, whatever. I love that. And I love that. Uh, I love that she taunted Robert De Niro when she got shot. It was like, she really well, that's knew. How, that's how comfortable she was in that life. Or she's just like, I don't give a fuck. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fucking razz the fuck out of him. Right. She ended up pushing him too far. So Right. Now, do you think that was part of the plan? That couldn't have been part of the plan. That was just serendipitous for Jackie Brown that he reacted that way. Yeah, I don't think she knew Melanie well enough to know that that would have happened or knowing Lewis enough for that, but it definitely worked out for her. Right. Right. Because, but what was the plan? Here's the thing I don't get. What was the plan if if she had lived? Like, what was the plan? Because you knew they were going to get rid of Samuel Jackson. She knew she had to get rid of Samuel Jackson, and she had the cops to it for her, which was a brilliant... Well, maybe she, maybe she knew at least... Um, Maybe she knew Ordell would have been suspicious of her and tried to. Oh, tried you're to right. That I just answered my own question. She gave her the yeah. marked bills. She gave her the yeah. marked bills. So that would have been okay. Yeah. Done and done. Okay. Wasn't perfect. expecting it. Wasn't expecting Lewis to kill her, but I think she probably assumed that she, Ordell she, was going to kill her seeing marked bills. Right. Right. right and right. thought that she was, because he already knew that she probably would have squealed had she been in contact with the, been in contact with the FBI. 
or with the yeah. Uh, she had it all planned out. She's she thought of everything. What's great is yeah, she what a great uh you you know, you just think of her as like, well, she's just like um you know, she's a she's a flight attendant and, and she's kind of in this life, but how much can she know? She ends up being smarter than everybody. Mm-hmm. And capable. You know what I mean? Jackie Brown. Uh do Kalei, what did you think of the scene where he Odell comes over obviously to kill her? <laughs> and then she and she snuck the gun from Cherry's glove box. <laughs> and she he's playing the lights out, lights on game, and she right. goes up to him and she gets his gun from him. I thought it was just okay. First of all, hats off to Pam Greer in facial expressions alone because like I kind of felt like I knew what she was thinking. Like even when she just like opens the glove box and we get the flash of the gun, you know? Mm-hmm. And um as like Ordell's walking around and everything like that. And when they were playing the game with the lights, I was like, Oh, like she like is definitely trying to plan something, but I thought she was going to like die. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you, so you're glad she got out of it. I was. Cause I was like, Oh great. They're going to kill the title character. And this is all going to be about how like, she knows so much more than we realize. She knows the FBI is going to lose it, that they're like witness. They thought they had just died and it's about to go down. And they named the movie after her. Right. What a way to use a woman. Like, I was mad. <laughs> <laughs> and then she ends up being the most capable character in the whole movie. Yes. And she twists it and she knows exactly where his head is going and him asking questions to determine if she lives or dies. Right. And because, I like, you know, at that point we have context with Beaumont. Right, right. Uh, I also like that you're not quite sure. You're not quite sure at first. Is she going to double cross the cops? Is she going to double cross, or you know, Sam Samuel L. Jackson? You're not quite sure where it's going to land, and then you figure it out, and then you know, it's like, oh, and then she gets you know Max Cherry involved and that whole thing, and then you know she are, she's 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 one step ahead of everybody already. Yes. And, uh, and she's so, already got it all planned out. She already knows how it's going down. Right. Mm-hmm. She's so she's so savvy and never loses her cool. Right. So that's why you can't figure out exactly why she's panicking when she comes out of the when she comes out of the dressing room. Right. You're you're like, why is she acting like this? She she's been she's been in control the whole time. And it's because she knows in case somebody's watching her. Yeah, she she she's playing like, the part just yep. in case there was in case they didn't quite trust her and were in the shot in the store with her. I forgot how it all came down. I forgot how it all. It was fun for me to watch this because I hadn't seen it in such a long time that I really enjoyed watching it again. And I was, I really feel like this is the most underrated Quentin Tarantino movie. I think people forget about, it. and it's really more of a character study than a Quentin Tarantino movie. But it's it's uh, you know good. I mean, there's good stuff in here. Jake, what did you you had not seen this before, sir? Uh, no, I hadn't seen it, but um, I thought it was great. I I love Pam Greer and everything that she does. She's just such a strong, powerful, fucking like ten times more intelligent than any person in the room. Kind of kind of right. going all of movies, and it's just so fun to watch her work. It's just like she's got everybody in her back pocket in the palm of her hand. She's like, "Yep, we're just uh, this is what we're doing." She yeah. always, always, she always seems like she takes control too. In whatever scene she's in, you know, when right. she was talking to Cordell, she was like, "No, this is the plan. This is what we're doing." And he said, "Well, why would we do this? Oh, because this, this, and this." Said, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> just pulls the strings, everybody along for the ride. Right. She so is a she is the sharpest 
person in the room by far. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, I thought the scene at the at the store was really was really great to see it from the initial perspective, then to get everybody else who was there at the time the perspective. I thought I would have heard a gunshot though when from um uh I can't what what uh what's his name? Uh, Lewis? Uh, from Max's perspective. Oh, outside? Yeah. Well, they were on the other side of the lot, so maybe not, because he was parked up at the top, remember? Yeah, that's true. But I thought I might have heard like a, like, like a, like maybe. a little pop or something. A little pop or something, just in the mm-hmm. background. Um, that is yeah. a, all the violence in this movie takes place very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost Kurosawa-esque. It's just very, there's a buildup and then boom, boom, and then it's done. And there's a lot of subtle cues to how the scene's going to go down, too, if you pay attention. Um, Ordell, when he was trying to kill somebody, he had his gloves on. Right. They showed that when he shot uh, Chris Tucker's character, Beaumont. Yeah, then he, then he puts the gloves him, on. And you saw him walk when um, when he was talking with Jackie Brown, he already had his gloves on. Right. Right. So there's just a bunch of really cool, subtle little cues about like the intent of some of the characters. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was just... Super, super well done. Poor Chris Tucker. He was only in it for like a minute, but uh, yeah, always good to see our friend Chris Tucker. Um, <clears throat> we last saw him in The Fifth Element. Um, there was, a, oh, I was going to say, there's a nice nod to the Pam Greer movies and all the black exploitation movies. Uh, Sid Haig, who was often a villain, he was actually in a couple of the Pam Greer movies we watched. He was the judge. He was the judge yeah. that uh, he, he shows up. He turns up in a lot of, he turns up later in a lot of Rob Zombie movies they use him, but uh, Sid Haig was a great uh, character actor. Was around, made a lot of pictures for Roger Corman and a lot of stuff for uh, a lot of the black exploitation movies. So he's he's always a, a familiar face in those movies. So it was nice to see him there, playing yeah. a judge. It was like, oh hey, he's, uh, he's not a bad guy this time, um, or he's always like a crooked cop or something. Um, Mario, question. Talk to me, Goose. Or I guess it'd be more for myself and Clay. Did you guys find it surprising that um, that uh, Lewis shot Melanie when they were walking over to the car once they got out of the mall? Apparently, that was a big surprise in the movies. Um, I was shocked that he. Yeah, I was shocked that he. I thought he was going to hit her. Like when I first mm-hmm. saw the movie, I thought it was going to like belt her one or something. Uh, but yeah. to go straight to murder, it, but it just shows you where his character was. You know. I think, and he'd been a lot in prison a long time because you kind of think of him as not a bright guy, right? You, you, yeah. you, you kind of, they kind of play him as a little dumb, but then you see that he just, he has a line that he, that he had, that he did not want crossed and she crossed it. And so, you know, uh, well, he was getting pressure from Ordell too. It's like, where the fuck are you? Where are we doing? Right. Mm-hmm. He, he kind of lost it. Yeah. What I wasn't surprised. No, I wasn't either. <laughs> she kept going and going. I'm like, he's gonna fucking kill her right now. I, yeah, I didn't, you know what I think it was? I think it was like you figured he was gonna get her back in the car and then do it. Mm. I think the surprise yeah, came from the middle of the Yeah, I think the surprise yeah. came from well, they're out it's the middle of the day, there's people around. He's obviously not gonna do it here. He's gonna wait till they get in the car and then, you know, whack her. So yeah. it was I think it was just surprising that he did it there. I think that's where the surprise was. Yeah. Yeah. Um but uh, kudos to Bridget Fonda because it's, 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 we talked about this when we watched Casino uh, and Sharon Stone. Uh, when there's a character that's obnoxious like that, it, it's kudos to the actor or actress, right? 
because you want to you're annoyed at the character <laughs> you're just like oh my god stop it dude uh but that just tells you that the acting is good that just tells you that's where the acting bridget fonda mm-hmm. also like kind of had a moment in the early 90s and then just kind of stopped working so uh, it's kind of nice to see her doing some good work here but yeah samuel jackson uh it's it's a it's a great cast everybody did a good job Samuel Jackson Ordell was such an interesting and dynamic character. Right. Just never, never really know, like never necessarily knowing how he's going to react in a certain scenario. Right. Cause he's totally cool. Like when Robert, when they had that conversation about what happens after, uh, after he left between him and Mel, right. Robert and Robert, you kind of trying to admit, Hey, I just want to let you know. And he's totally cool with it. And you're just like, well, that's weird. <laughs> of you would think that he would be just super jealous, and he's just like, "Nah, it's fine." He's like, "That's why I left you there." He was like, "Whoa, you were not expecting that level of uh, of um, of uh, what's the word? I'm looking ambivalence mm-hmm. about that from Ordell." But that's not what he cared about. That's not where his emphasis was. Is is his interest? Like like Pam Greer said, he's about that money, and he wants to look like you know, he wants to get his hands on that money, and that's where his priority lies. So, um. What did you guys think of the music? This is probably one of Tarantino's best. For me, it's one of his best soundtracks because that's the kind of stuff that I, you know, grew up hearing. You know, the Delphonics and 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 uh, there's some meters in there and there's some uh, there's all kinds of good stuff. And as a matter of fact, one of the scenes I think when she's putting the bag together, uh, that 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 little track where she's putting the bag together in the dressing room, that is actually the the theme from Coffee, which is a Pam Greer. 70s movie so it's kind of cool that tarantino used Which that one was it? uh mm-hmm. when she's putting the money in the bag in that scene where she's in the dressing room and she's getting everything ready real quick oh no uh was it no it was uh it's slightly before that it's when they show everything on the map and they're kind of showing how everything's going to go out and it's like this really uh, it's a really cool just look uh yeah it's a really cool uh tune from the but he actually snuck that in the soundtrack. So what did you guys think? Did you enjoy the music? I liked the music and I always really enjoy when there's an awareness of the music from within the script. So when they were like, Oh, the, like Delphonics kind of guy. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was really like, I thought that was fun and cute. I love when he um, goes and buys the tape. He goes and buys the yeah. cassette. That was cute. Yeah. <laughs> See, there's like all this little attention to detail where, you know, you're showing, um, yeah, where you're showing his, like, his growing love for Mm -hmm. Jackie Brown. Like, it's just, yeah, just all the little details. I like that he has a little smile on his face when he finds it, too. He's, he's like, Mm -hmm. walking to the front. He's got, like, a little little smile on his face. So, Um, yeah. Uh, I also like that Max Sherry is a guy that goes to the movies by himself. Uh, That is something I embraced much later in life, and I sad i didn't do it earlier uh because it's great and uh nobody bothers you <laughs> and you could just, just go and watch a movie oh we got to see the great uh, uh uh um tiny lister again in a small role uh as uh, max cherry's uh, partner and um we just we last saw him in fifth element as well him and chris tucker were both oh you're fifth right element. he was the uh he was the president president yeah yeah debo Everybody knows him as Debo from Friday, but he had a nice little role in there too. Uh, but yeah, uh, this is a great one. Um, good soundtrack. Um, you know, lots of location shooting in and around LA, Hawthorne, Del Amo Mall. This is back when the Del Amo Mall was the largest 
mall in America. Now, of course, it's the Mall of America, which has been, you know, it's been like that for 30 years now, but uh, it's kind of funny. Minnesota. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, you missed Fargo. You missed Fargo. Oh, we watched. Oh, you did Fargo. That's a real shame there. I'm from mid- the Midwest all the time. Have you seen the movie Fargo? Have you seen it? No. Oh my! You gotta watch. Oh my word! Sorry, oh, sorry. Oh, starting good time there, but I you gotta you really enjoy it. Yeah. You gotta watch it there. You gotta watch it there. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Don't you know? No, you gotta. I'm telling you, do it. Do it today. While your friend is moving his his stuff out, you sit there and watch Fargo. You'll love it. Oh. Okay. Amazing. Yeah. Oh. Oh my. <laughs> Oh my, oh my word. The first time I heard the Minnesota accent was oh was, the, the, was years before Fargo on Mystery Science Theater. Uh, uh, they they were all from Minnesota and I didn't know they were, do- I thought they were just doing uh, like a dumb voice but they, there was a movie called um, Village of the Giants and uh, it's about these kids that eat this pink goo and grow giants and um, they're just typical 60s teenagers. So the beginning of them is a is a scene later in the movie. They use it as they lay the credits over it, where they're dancing in slow motion and they're all in various bikinis and whatnot. And one of the guys just goes, "Oh my, oh my word!" That's where I first heard that, and I would say it like that for years, and I did not know what that's what it was from. Oh my, oh my word! Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's the Minnesota accent. Amazing. Oh my, oh my word. Um, oh. oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, a great movie. And then later on, in another one, said, "Oh my, everything looks so lovely at the salad bar." Oh my, oh my word. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, man, it's be a cold one out there today, isn't it? Oh yeah, uh, oh yeah. Uh, so how many? There was uh, three. There was three deaths in this movie. It was. It was. Uh, and they all belong to uh, Ordell Circle. Yeah. Yeah, it was um, and, um, Lewis. Did you think Lewis was going to get it? Lewis, yeah. You knew Lewis was going to get it. You knew it. Um, the second, well, the second, the second he shot her, shot Melanie. I'm like, oh yeah, he's getting it. He's getting it. <laughs> right. Yeah, and he shot her twice. I was like, oh, oh. <laughs> right. Is yeah. He. It didn't matter the reason for it. It's um. He was just going to be too suspicious of him, and he, yeah, he was gonna. It wasn't gonna, wasn't gonna happen. All right, let's. Um, any final thoughts on uh, on the old, uh, the old uh, Jackie Brown? No. All yeah. right, let's Great. rank it. I've got to get up. This paper here. Uh, Calais, let's start with you. What do you think? I'll give it a seven. Ooh. Just for just so we have some context, what is a ten for you, Kalei? I don't remember what I gave Hook, but I feel like Hook was pretty high up. I'm gonna have to uh, ask you to leave the podcast. <laughs> um, I I don't know that. Maybe Back to the Future. Okay, now we're talking. Solid. I mm-hmm. think Back to the Future is a ten. Um, I don't remember what I ranked Selena, but looking back, that was a 10. All right. I get you. I got you. Jakey. I give this a nine. Jake, give it a nine. Nine. Fantastic. 
Loved it. I'm glad you liked it, man. Mm-hmm. I, I really am. It's it's underrated. It's definitely underrated Quentin Tarantino. I think people forget how good it is. And maybe it's because it's not based on his work. You know, he he, he adapted another, somebody else's work, but I, I don't know, man. I, I, I love this one. Um, I'm going to give... Um, I'm going to give it an eight. I'm going to give it an eight. Ocho. The Ocho. All okay. Right. Solid. It's great. Hey, seven, eight, nine. Not bad, huh? Why was six afraid of seven? Because seven, eight, nine. That's right. <laughs> Don't look so cocky when you say it like that, Kalei. Uh All right. Next week, The Big Lebowski. The Big Lebowski. People are divided over this movie. Uh, oh, this is probably the most uh, divisive. No, this is probably the most famous of all the uh, the Coen Brothers movies, aside yeah, from uh, uh, maybe so. aside from Fargo. But I think this is probably the most. It's probably their most popular movie. So not very divisive. It's just not one of my favorite Quentin Tarantino movies. Will I like it better on this watch? We'll find out. Big Lebowski, the dude. Have you seen this one, uh, Kalei? No. Oh my gosh. In for a treat. You are. I, I think you will be. I love the going for a year and for one extreme or another. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This seems to be a, this seems to be a movie either people love or hate, but it, it does. Mm-hmm. It is one of the most Cohen. It is one of the Cohen brothers' most beloved movies for sure. Um, but we'll see. Did I like it better this time? This is one of those movies I've revisited time and time again to see if I if I was right or wrong with my initial. In my initial reaction, and I'm a person who loves the Coen Brothers, loves them. But this movie left me cold the first time I watched it. Will it? Will that change? Let's find out. I'm excited. Find out next week. Let's find out next week. Same back time, same back channel. You don't know what that means. Nope. You kids are too young. You don't know the references. John knows them. What's that from? Like it's a show or something. That was a way of life. It was no, a, well, same bat time, bat channel is from a show. It's from Batman. Oh. Uh. So when they showed the 60s Batman with Adam West, a very colorful one, they would always end it on a cliff, cliffhanger and they would say, Will Batman and Robin be smashed to bits? Find out tomorrow. Same bat time, same bat channel. And they said bad. Okay. Bat, that makes bat. more sense. Yeah, that's right. Mm hmm. Kalei, always a pleasure. You, you do good work, and I appreciate you. I, we love having you. Please come back for Big Lebowski. I will be here. Thanks for having me every what it, week. What is, your, what is your final verdict? You're not going to help Daniel, right? No, you're not going to lift a finger, right? Don't let him guilt you into this. <laughs> no, I'm not going to lift a finger. I, I was just telling Jacob on the break, listen, I will be there for moral support. I'll hold up some signs and I'll send him on his way with some freshly baked edibles and we're good. Wow. Well, then if you're doing freshly baked edibles, you're going to love Big Lebowski. (laughs) (laughs) Should I save some? Yeah, you you definitely should. You You definitely should. Uh, I should probably take some of them that, that way. I'll like the movie more. Maybe that. Maybe that's what I'm missing this whole time. Maybe I'm about to come on the podcast next week, and I'm just gonna have nothing but like positive rave reviews. You might. You've been. You know, I've been surprised. I. You know, it's it's always because. He, and here's what I like about you, Kalei. I think I've said this on the show. You realize that some of this stuff is problematic, but you're willing to set that aside or look at it in the context of when the movie was made. 
and look at the movie as a whole. Obviously, there's some problematic stuff in, in Jackie Brown. Every, oh, Qu- yeah. every Quentin Tarantino movie is like that. But you're able to mm-hmm. appreciate the stuff that isn't problematic on another level. Absolutely. And I think that some of it is like, especially with Quentin Tarantino movies, some of it doesn't need to be impacted because it comes with it to the same extent that like Pam Greer, how like you were saying, you know, like Pam Greer is just so directly associated with black exploitation. Right. There's some things that like, there are some things in what has become the cult classics that are so ingrained in the movie where it, the reputation precedes itself that sometimes it doesn't necessarily need to be unpacked right. in this case. You know it's I mean? in the, it's in the title itself. Obviously if, if something is referred to as black exploitation, you're expecting to see, you know, certain things, right. You know, there's going to be exactly. some violence. It's probably going to be what you're getting into. Right. You know what you're getting into. So yeah, you're right. It's you're not, it's not, you don't need to like go into it. Right. Yeah. Uh, but then other times in a movie where it's not necessarily, as advertised, right? You find it in there. Something like, you know, Breakfast at Tiffany's and then here's Mickey Rooney doing this, you know, horrible. It's like, we have we have to talk about this guy. It was the beginning of Reservoir Dogs. <laughs> right. If we're going to stick with the same. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We ha- we have to talk about certain things, you know, so. Yeah. Uh, but I appreciate the fact that you can, you understand the context because, um, you know, when, when we grew up, when I grew up, there was a, still a lot of stuff like, but there's still a lot of stuff that was edited that still shocks me. It's like when I first watched um, the unedited version of, I'm going to get this wrong. It's either Holiday Inn or the other one that's like Holiday Inn, White Christmas. Um, mm. I had always seen the edited version. Then when I watched the unedited version on Criterion Channel, there's Bing Crosby in blackface. And I was like, what the actual? Because you're just like, I've never seen this before. And it's just like getting punched in the stomach. You're just like, Ugh. like, well, we need to talk about this now because this is obviously, you know. Um, mm-hmm. On the flip side of that, I really appreciate that, like, I can bring things up in this space and that everyone, as much as we can be joking or anything like that, it's so nice that I say things like that and people will engage. So yeah. I appreciate you guys. Well, there needs to be there needs to be a dialogue and there needs to be I'm hoping that people listen, you know, maybe there's people listening that don't embrace you know some of the things that we talk about and and hearing an actual discussion about it will open open uh dialogue for them open it maybe you know hey i was talking i heard this podcast today and they were talking about this what do you think about this um Mm -hmm. you know i i hope that that's that's an avenue for people who are listening too or people Mm -hmm. who are a part of what we're talking about people who are marginalized or feel marginalized or are part of a group that we're kind of talking about are people, someone who's maybe targeted in some of these movies that were, you know, from decades ago. And we can talk about that and they feel like, oh, well, here's some, here's some people who maybe don't understand what it's like to be me, but at least they're open to the idea of just being supportive, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's what I hope that uh, people take away from that. And when, you know, you, you should be able to talk about anything you want, come here and, and, you know, and we may disagree sometimes and that's fine too. Uh, but yeah, that's what we want. We want an open space where you can you feel comfortable bringing it up because it makes me have to think about things in a different way too, right? It's, it's good to be challenged, right? Where where mm-hmm. you don't want to just live in an echo chamber where Absolutely. you just where you just hear the opinions that you want repeated back to you over and over. You know, that's not what mm-hmm. you want either. That, that's the last thing we want. We want to you know, yeah, you keep, get no growth from that. Yeah, you want to continue to grow. I'm old, you know, I'm old, but I want to keep keep growing right 
I don't want to just be like, uh, the 80s were the best decade in the world. Uh, my favorite thing is when people, when you read comment threads and everybody's like, oh, people are so offended, easily, so easily offended these days. It's like, no, it's not that. It's just some stuff is offensive. It's, some stuff is offensive and that's it. Like, it's, it's not like, yeah. it's like we know better now. It's not that we don't know how to laugh anymore. We were just talking, my wife and I were just talking about this because she read Matthew Perry's biography and she was just saying what a horrible person he is after reading the biography and then we're just talking about the cast of friends and how they're really going through it right now because so much of gen z now they're watching all these old shows with with a more critical eye and they're saying well this is problematic and this is problematic and this is problematic and that doesn't necessarily mean you're not enjoying the show it just means that you point that out right well here's why this is problematic right and she was just saying, oh, the younger generations today, they don't have a sense of humor. And I'm like, wow, she really sounds like a boomer. Like, she's my age, and she really sounds like she's a boomer because, you know, it's like, it's her work being attacked. But it's like, yeah, it was in, it was the 90s, man. There's going to be some stuff in there that doesn't, that doesn't jibe with what, with, you know, it, it's not going to fly today. It's just the mm-hmm. way it is, you know? Stuff that was seemingly fine to them in that, yeah, in that time period, obviously, is looked at in a different light. Right, so. even even stuff like The Office, which is relatively new. It's happened in all of our lifetimes, right? And, well, I think, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, go ahead, Kalei, what were you going to say? I was going to say, I think The Office is such an interesting example because I kind of feel like even as it was getting traction, there was like this unspoken agreement amongst people that it was like, this is just so clearly funny enough that it's not a problem. Right. And so now it's this weird retroactive thing that's happening when in reality, while it was being created, we really have this awesome example of consumer behavior being dictated, not by morality, but by production. And here's what, and here's, here's why. And I don't, again, I don't want to sell. And you're right. Um, what the fascinating thing to me is how like the character of Jim now is so divisive, right? In the office because of the way he, the relationship went down. But you, if you look at Jim, he's also (laughs) one of the first characters on television to really speak out against Michael's racism, his sexism, whenever anything says anything untoward towards one of the women in the office, not even necessarily Pam. Jim is usually the first one to say like, Hey, that's not okay. Or make a comment like, please don't say that. Or, you know, there were really no male characters in movies or in TV shows. that were really doing that yet. Um, This is true. So it's kind of like, he's become like this lightning rod for uh, like a horrible, abusive relationship, right? Like mentally abusive, like a gaslighting relationship. Right. But at the same time, he's also the only character on that show with any sort of moral code. And he will speak up for like, you know, he will speak out against or he'll speak up for the gay character or the minority character. Or he's like the only one in the office that does it. Yes. <laughs> so it's kind of an I interesting think- you, you, you see, we were kind of on the cusp at that point. Like you yes. said, it was part of the social contract. But, you know, we, we all kind of agreed that it's like we're going to look past this stuff. Because the show's so funny, or because, you know, but also because it kind of re- was reflective of corporate life. It was a reflective, we all had people like that at our jobs, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think it's also, I think Jim, as divisive as a character, he, like he can be to audiences, if you just isolate him as a character, 
you know, we're watching someone who's aware of the society he's in. We're watching someone who wants to be respectful to different groups. And we're also watching someone who hasn't taken all the time to really address his male male privilege. And we're watching that sink into his relationship with Pam in ways that we don't typically see male privilege talked about, expanded on, or suggested to be worked on this in this context. And so in that way, I think he's also a very believable real man that is so accessible to like the male community and showing what works in progress can look like and normalizing it. Right. You know what? And that's a great makes any of his wrongs. Okay. But I do think it's important to have someone like that on the screen. You're right. And that's the thing. He's working on it. He's we're all working on ourselves. We're not fully formed, right? Mm-hmm. None of us are fully formed. Even even those of us with best best intentions can get it wrong sometimes. Yeah, and I still I, think Pam should leave him. <laughs> because of the house. Because it's yeah, being said. Because he bought the house without her. What, why should she leave him? What's the what's the reasoning? Okay, the show like ended fine, I guess. Um my issues actually aren't about the house and all the things. That's usually uh, what people bring up. The house. Okay, so I think that the house thing, yes, absolutely should have had that conversation with her 110%. The mind games that I feel are when they weren't working together and they were in separate locations and the novelty of phone calls and all that situation, I felt like that was actually very abusive. Oh, I'm going to go back and watch. You know what? Here's the thing. After Michael leaves, I check out. Mm. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that is just, I'm going to tell you something. Somebody, uh, Kyle uh, Dodson, who used to produce the Rock Solid Show, shout out to Kyle, very funny guy. He pointed out that after Michael leaves, the characters stopped being who they were and they started being who the writers needed them to be that week. Mm-hmm. So the characters have lost a lot of consistency, including Jim and Pam. Um, yes. And that whole thing with the cameraman, that was such a bad, um, that whole thing where the cameraman was in love with Pam and that whole thing. Was just terrible. And, That's a fever uh, dream. I blocked it out. <laughs> I dreamt that, and I I wasn't feeling well that day, and I haven't gone back to watch those episodes. They're terrible. But uh, <laughs> we'll have to we'll have to one day we'll have to uh, give Jim, uh, Jim a re uh, a, a rethinking. We'll have to we'll have to dedicate a whole show to that. We can compare Jim pre Michael leaving and post Michael leaving. Right, right. Um, <laughs> I love that. I love the idea that once Jim gets, he's a nice guy, and then once he gets married, he's just got like a tight psychological grip on Pam, like that whole thing. I love that idea. He just becomes a villain. Well, I think it's. I think what it actually. It's really hard because like they did kind of make him a villain, and I feel like if they'd gone about it just like a little differently. It would have been a lot more. We see how obsessive behavior can be perceived as romantic if someone else is interested and how often that puts people in dangerous situations, both of them, because Jim's obsessive behavior is not getting checked and Pam's anxious attachment isn't getting checked. That's true. Damn. You really, you really brought a new level to the office. I just want to say that's what she said. <laughs> that's, yeah, just, I'm just here for the that's what she said jokes. That's all I want. Mm-hmm. I'm here for the hardcore hardcore like, and the pranks <laughs> and the pranks on Dwight. <laughs> I love it. All right, you guys. That, thank you for that breakdown, Kalei. See, you can come on this podcast and talk about that stuff anytime. We'll be we'll be happy to have you. Uh, Thanks for having me, you guys. Of course, man. Jake always heavy lifting. 
the tech guy. Mm-hmm. Jake's the tech guy. Jake's really like the the stage director in like your community theater. He does everything. He's he's doing everything. So we stage manager. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, I used I used to I used to build sets in high school. Okay, tech. I was tech. I was. Yep, I learned a little bit of lights and thing. Yeah, hey, you know, I'm I'm there. I'm ready to jump in when needed. Speaking of lights, I went to the Dodgers Stadium. Open. They they're doing crazy things with the LEDs. They got these giant LEDs, and it's, it's a, like a light show every time you hit home. They hit a home run. Oh yeah, uh, they do a full on crazy light show. Uh, hey, just just so you guys know, uh, quick quick update. I know you guys are. Uh, I know. Uh, dying to know. Well, there's a lot. I know you guys are dying to know, but uh, 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 fantasy league. My fantasy baseball team, the Golden Sombreros, we're currently up on uh, same but different. Uh, it's six to five. Uh, got a good team this year. Auto drafted. Forgot uh, had a, a draft and uh, actually got uh, got a pretty good team. Got Mookie Betts from the Dodgers. Uh, off to a little bit of a you slow got a start. Good old Mookie. 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 Hey Mookie. Mookie's my favorite current Dodger. Well, Kershaw and Mookie. My friend's dog is named Mookie. Oh my God! What kind of dog is he? It's a husky. Is he named after Mookie Betts? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that's a good boy, right? That there. is, a, that is the boy. best boy. <laughs> uh, Mookie Betts. Uh, he's not playing today. They're off. They're ever travel day. They're off to Arizona. They beat the uh, Rockies uh, two games. Yes, uh, two game series. They split the series with the uh, with the D backs. All right. I hope Mookie the dog's playing today, though. He's a good boy. He deserves a good play. Uh, shout out to Mookie the dog. Uh, please send us pictures. Uh, we love dogs on the show. Shout out to all dogs. Shout out to Chewbacca. Uh, shout out to my man uh, Mango down there in uh, San Diego. Mm. Shout out to Senior. Uh, uh, he's a big fan of the show. He's out uh, out in uh, Colorado. So, uh, yeah. Shout out to all the dogs. All the dogs. If you have a dog, uh, shout out to your dog. Uh, shout out to yeah. Bodhi, my friend's dog Bodhi, which means uh, <laughs> rice in Korean. She's a little. Uh, what? You know who doesn't have a dog? Who? The nanny family that I will be working for. Whoa! <laughs> Congratulations, you got the job, huh? I did. I got the job. I went and I did my shadow day on Monday, and they offered me the job. I forgot to ask. I, you, thank you for reminding me. And uh, did you guys sing some show tunes together? Um, it was a lot of me and their son playing trucks nice. and, um, me and their daughter climbing the back wall in the backyard. I like that. Yeah. And me just talk like chit chatting, small talking with the parents and everything like that. So not quite so goofy this time, a lot more practical and like looking at the space and having a little bit more of contract conversations and all that jazz. But yeah. I like climbing the back wall. You tapped into your, your culture. Uh, our culture to get into that. So I like that. Uh, hmm. Thank you. Got to make sure those muscles are working and strong. <laughs> you never know. You never know. You never know. This part of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> Kalei, uh I love that you didn't know how to do, uh, you didn't quite know what to do with that. So you just covered your mouth. Uh, that's my favorite. Yeah. That's yeah. like, have you ever seen the uh, the weekend update on Saturday Night Live when it's it's uh, there's two writers they write each other jokes, and uh, it's I forgot the other guys. It's it's uh, it's Scarlett Johansson's husband, who's the white guy, and the other 
The other anchor is black and he'll write the most racist jokes and make the white. And he's reading them off the teleprompter. So he doesn't realize until the last second that it's a horrible, that it's a horribly, it's a horribly racist joke. Yeah. Oh my God. It's like the, it's like the funniest thing in the world. Um, and then he'll just pretend he didn't know. Be like, Oh my God. (laughs) Why would you say that? Um, God, it's funny. Okay. Listen, I love you guys. Uh, Jake, I was complimenting you. Great job. Good job on your new job, Calais. Thank you. Uh, they don't have a dog. Maybe you should dog sit Mookie. Take Mookie over there. Play with the kids. Mookie's a notorious escape artist. Yes. Oh, all Huskies are. You can't. We mm-hmm. had a Husky that ran away and never came back. Yeah, they, they, get, they get away. And That's we had bad. a huge backyard this, for this dog. And uh, he just took, I forgot what we named him. He was, we had a husky for like a little while. He took off. He never came back. He was gonzo. Sad. Hashtag sad. That's because my mom didn't want to let the dog sleep in the house. So he was just like, one night he was like, bye. Just took off. Mm -hmm. At least it was a husky. Like, you know, your dog got picked up and is loved. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. He's fine. I was like in third grade, so I'm fine. Yeah. yeah. Everybody wants a husky till they get one, you know. Yeah. Then yes. we got then we then we got <laughs> Snoopy, who was a mutt and lived to be. Uh, we had him till I was like in my twenties, so it's mm-hmm. fine. He's a good dog. He was a little mutt, so God bless him. God bless Snoopy. Shout out to him too. All right, for Calais, for Jake, for the cats and the dogs. What's your cat's name, Calais? Ibsen and Izzy. That's right. And then uh, you are you of course. Uh, Jake has, uh, 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 what's his name? Mila. Uh, Mila. Her name's Mila. That's right, Mila. Mila, yeah. what's she looking at? Um, so that there's, Is there a bird there's, out there? Uh, there was a nest of birds. Oh, yeah, she was on it. Here, yeah. And they just started to fly, and so they're flying up to the window, and they're tapping on the window. Yeah, she. And she, so it's been driving her crazy all day. She's been staring and trying to catch them all day. She wants them. She thinks mm-hmm. she's going to get them. Sorry, she's Mila. Got, she got, she's got a good TV show to watch today. Yeah. So. Sorry, That's Mila. Nice. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, we didn't talk about The Mandalorian, but we'll talk about it next week. And uh, hopefully back next week we'll have more people. If not, it'll be Jake, Kalei, and myself, and we will be watching Big Lebowski. So until then. And the uh, committed members of the podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> until then, fight the power. This guy's are going to